All right, welcome to the Retro Time Podcast. Yeah. We have got an awesome, awesome episode today. And before we start, this is episode 10, which is very special for us. It's our 10th episode. I Frankly, I'm, I'm shocked we've, we've made 10 of these <laughs> episodes, Derek. Um, I, I never thought we'd get this far, but we did. And here we are. Not only is it episode 10, but we have got our biggest guest yet on. And I am super stoked to have one Mr. Tom griever uh on tom wrote a really awesome book called uh, articulating design decisions and we're gonna have him on today talk a little about it tom welcome to retro time how's it going yeah thanks nice to meet you guys thanks for having me yeah no problem um so uh if you haven't read tom's book uh we'll, we'll tell you about how to get it after uh, all this is over but it's an awesome book i really enjoyed it so we're gonna jump into it tom tell us a little bit about you how did you get into uh design yeah, so I, I was actually a, a business major in, in college, in undergrad. I majored in marketing and advertising. And so um, because of my exposure to advertising and marketing, you know, especially in college, there was always always something that had to be designed, right? Whether it was for like a class project or, you know, the local band, you know, down the road or whatever. So I, I knew how to use graphic design like tools and kind of you know was self-taught while going through business school and then in my first my first role um out out of college i was the creative manager at a at a local company and uh, led a team of you know two or three uh, designers one of whom was a web designer and at that company um one of our projects was to uh, take an existing kind of like green screen terminal based piece of software that this company uh, resold and like leased to other companies and to repurpose it for the web. And so we kind of took this piece of software and put it on the internet and it was terrible. It was a really awful experience. We were just kind of taking one field and throwing it into a, a browser. But it was my, my first exposure then, of course, to designing software. Um, and ever since then, you know, that, that's what I've been working on. I've, I've been working in, in the UX industry for 20 years now. Sweet, awesome. Is it a lot of like, commercial or enterprise or a little of both? Uh, yeah, all, yeah, all commercial and uh, quite a bit of enterprise. So I've, I've worked in-house uh, on, on an internal team, um, but I've also I spent the majority of my career at an agency doing you know consulting work um, for a lot of really really big enterprises. You know, Walmart and Levi's and Lowe's Home Improvement. But we've done a lot of work for um, smaller you know startups and, and, and companies as well. So it really runs the gamut. Awesome. And you have your own company now, or do you work uh, like more consulting base, or? Yeah. No. Right now, I'm just independent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Right now, it's it's just just little old me. So I'm I'm actually looking for a, a role now to to find a team to lead, specifically on an internal team. I, I think it's time for me to go back to um, leading an internal team. So I'm kind of currently on the lookout for my next role. Right on. Well, Unfortunately, we all are right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's all right. As it is, it's okay. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, hey, if you're anyone's out there looking for one awesome uh, UX director, you got one right here. So um, Tom's Tom's great. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the book. So how did the idea for the book come about? Obviously, something happened probably that sparked these ideas. So 
Tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I was asked to submit um, some proposals for a talk at a, at a conference local to me in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I, I live in Illinois on the other side of, of Missouri, so I, I don't live super close to St. Louis, but it's one of the largest uh, cities near me. Um, so I was asked to submit a proposal for that conference, and um, I came up with three. And two of them were more kind of like design thinky, you know, I was like trying to come up with like some either, you know, methods or, you know, things related to like how I worked at my company and projects that we had done that were really cool. But there was this other one that kind of random idea I came up with called articulating design decisions. Um, And that one seemed um, less interesting to me. It was it was kind of mundane. It's the sort of thing I've done every day of my career, right? Having to explain my design decisions to other people. And, um, but naturally that's the, that's the talk that they pick. Then I, I was tasked of course, with figuring out how to, you know, think about the way that I talk to people about my work and the experiences that I've had both good and bad in this area. And then I tried to put it in a talk that would, you know, hopefully be valuable for people and give kind of some really practical tips for how you can be better at explaining design. And um, after that conference, uh, you know, the response was great. Like people were really excited. I had a ton of people coming up to me afterwards and telling me, you know, oh gosh, you know, no one, no one's ever talked about this before. Like you don't get this in school. This is typically only something you just kind of learn on the job. so I was asked to uh, give that same talk then at another conference, um, also in the Midwest in Indianapolis, and O'Reilly was a sponsor at that conference, and they were in the audience. And I gave a, a slightly um, more mature version of the same talk, and they approached me afterwards and asked me if I would be willing to turn it into a book, and and of course I did. Yeah, that's awesome. So I I've actually. I've said the same thing about that that topic, though. That like, you know, I, I think uh, how did I find your book? I'm trying to think. I, I, I had an issue, I think, at work, where I'm I'm sitting there trying to talk about some decision or something. You know, it's to me it seemed like really obvious, and I could not get the point across to stakeholders that this was the right approach. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I'm it's not them, it's me. I don't, I, you know, I'm obviously not explaining this well enough, um, and so. I, I think I went and like tried to find some books about talking about design or or, or something like that, and, and I, I came across your book, and I was like, God, oh, this is great. And and I don't think there really are any other people writing books about this same type of problem. But I think it's one of those problems where you know, I think like a lot of young designers, they come in, it's like, well, I'm the designer, I know best, I'm the, I know, I know best, and I'm smarter than everybody in the room. Um, but as you get progress in your career, you start to realize that you got to explain these things in a way, these technical things in a way that uh, help non-technical people understand them. And yeah. I think that there's a lot of really awesome tactics in the book that um, that I think are, are, are really awesome and worth exploring. Which Yeah, which, it's, it's definitely true that a, a lot of designers expect uh, to, you know, kind of show up and for their design to just speak for itself, that, that people will look at it and just go, oh, wow, of course, this is the best yeah. solution, right? And that's not how it works. There's, so you've probably seen the meme that says something to the effect of, you know, good design should be like a, a joke. If you have to explain it, then it's not very good, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's not true at all. I mean, definitely not in, in, in terms of working with other people. You know, our design will not speak for itself. We, that job falls on us. And if we're not prepared to do that, then, you know, we risk someone else in, in a conversation, you know, overruling us, 
um, or not approving our work as a result. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's so critical. In fact, I, I go so far as to say that your ability to be thoughtful about a problem and articulate any solution is more important than your ability to design the perfect solution because you could have the most innovative design in the world, but if if no one agrees with you, like if no one is there to uh, support you, uh, then then there was no point, right? Then your design will never see the light of day. You might as well have just stayed home from work that day, right? Yeah, I love that, and and that's one of the things that and Derek had a good um, a good question here for you, but we Derek and I work at at a really big company with a lot of really technical problems to solve right and yeah. um one of the things that we wanted to explore today uh was was how can you take the uh the tactics for that design role and apply them to other roles that are also technical right so you know for instance derek is a software architect and i'm i'm, I'm stealing your spotlight here derek <laughs> this is Take your question. Away. You want to go ahead? Yeah, so, uh, sorry, Derek. I'm really excited to talk to Tom. I just, but, um, the, Jeremy's <laughs> excitement is what gets me through these podcasts. I'm telling you, man. I show up for uh, his jazzness. Um, so how do we get, uh, or how can we maybe explore that idea, uh, the tactics for articulating your decisions, and maybe even call it like articulating architectural decisions or articulating development decisions or something like that? Um, yeah. I'm wondering if you've had any thoughts about like uh, how to apply that to other roles. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I I have heard from a lot of people in you know developer engineering roles, content strategy research people. Um, I lead workshops often at companies and at conferences, and there's almost always a mix of of, of people in in those. Um, so it's definitely you know valuable and applicable to those audiences and those those uh, contexts as well, and you know the approach that I that I give in the book, um, it really does kind of cross over to those other disciplines. It's it's not it, while the examples and the the kind of the construct that I create for storytelling in the book centers around. Um, UX and design processes, you could just as easily apply the same ideas to, uh, you know, development or engineering. So, you know, for instance, one of the strategies in the book um, is called Appeal to a Nobler Motive, which this this actually comes from Dale Carnegie's 1936 book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that can obviously be applied broadly kind of across industry and, and across you know, roles. There are there are other you know specific tactics that I that I give, like you know showing a comparison between kind of two alternatives, right? That's obviously something that anyone can do. It doesn't have to be a, you don't have to be in a design role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was um, that was something that that I really enjoyed the the uh, the appealing to a noble motive, showing them you know hey uh, this is this is really important and we're doing this for our purpose, our core purpose as a company. Um, and one of the other things that I really enjoyed that you had almost an entire chapter about relationship building. And one of the things that Derek and I, and you'll, if you listen to the podcast, we talk about it over and over and over and over and over again is the importance of relationships when you're building software, because, you know, software is technically very easy, 
right? You you write some code, it spits out a function, and hey, it does exactly yourself. what you typed in. <laughs> <laughs> Technically speaking, Te- it's very technical in that it's very. Also you yeah. just write easy. some code. Yeah, yeah. 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 easy is the wrong. Sorry, you're done. You know. All right, easy easy is the wrong uh, the wrong adjective. It's very straightforward, right? Um, yeah. You you type in the thing, and it's if you wrote it correctly, yeah, and and you, you wrote it correctly, you get what you want. The problem comes in with all the people that are involved, right? Yeah, and and absolutely. getting them to do what you want and, and to follow what you had to say, and I think that the relationship building um, is is critical. It it is, and and that is a big part of the book for sure. In fact, it's maybe one of the most important parts. The way that we relate to other people on our projects has a direct influence on the way that they react to us and our work. And one of the cases that I try to make is that. You know, we in, in UX in particular, we spend a lot of time thinking about having empathy for the users of our products, right? We, we, we yes. create personas and empathy maps and user journeys and all of these tools that we have to try to get in the heads of the people who are going to use our products. But we don't often apply the same sort of deliberate effort to thinking about the people that who, whose approval we need to move mm-hmm. forward, right? And if, if we're really going to get support from our, our stakeholders and business partners, then we have to apply some of those same, uh, you know, that same, those same tooling or those same exercises or methodologies with them too. If we can better understand them, then we're far more likely to both create a product as well as present it to them in a way that is gonna make sense to them, that's gonna appeal to their needs, that is gonna use vocabulary that is helpful, right? All those things are really important. You can't do that if you don't really know the people that you're, you're working with. I, I think I, I love that idea too. Having empathy for the stakeholders, uh, like we have empathy for uh, our users. And uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, I've had the same conversation with a lot of people that, that I work with. Um, when we talk to stakeholders, a lot of times in, in the company that we work for, a lot of times they're functional type workers. Uh, functional types, they, they come from like a lot of, for us at least, an industrial company, blue collar background. A lot of them have no idea about UX. It's, it's like this these terms that we use are so uh, foreign to them, almost like speaking another language. And, and we come in, we start talking, oh, ethnographic research and, you know, heuristics and all this stuff. And they just like, their eyes glaze over, you know. Um, and we don't think in terms of, you know, if we were to talk to users, you know, we're probably not going to go into a user uh, research trip and start throwing around those big words. But when we go, when we sit down with stakeholders, we just throw it like, like we're important. Listen to how important we are. Look at my big buzzwords, right? Um, so I, I think that that having empathy for for your stakeholders is uh, is awesome. I, I love that idea, and that was one of the. And I, I read that. I was just made me smile. I just like I think I giggled out loud because um, I, I work with so many designers that don't do that. And it, yeah. it frustrates me so much. I love that. I love that you're writing that uh, in the book. Well, and you really can take it to even a practical level. In the book, I recommend that people write what are effectively the the agile user user story, um, but for a stakeholder, right? And so, like, we really can use a lot of the same ideas and principles that we we use for you know, mm-hmm. you know research and the users of our products. You know, as a executive, I should be able to you know see what my team is working on so that I can go report back to the other senior leaders, right? Often that is like the number one thing that our stakeholders need from us. They don't even necessarily need to support or agree on our designs. They just have to go represent our work to someone else in the business. And so, 
just as often our job is about giving those people the tools and the vocabulary and the same level of understanding about our work that we have. It's not even about agreement or not. It's about making sure that when they go down the hallway um, or end up in a different conference call with someone else, that they're able to represent our work in a way that's going to be effective too. Because what happens is, you know, two other people get in a room and someone goes, why was it done this way? Shouldn't it be this? And that person who's, you know, our boss maybe is just goes, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Sure, I'll go tell the team to change it, right? So we have to be able to equip them uh, to represent our work to other people in the organization as well. Yeah. So Derek, you had a good question about stakeholders and what happens when there aren't decision makers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Basically, you know, the large company we work at, a lot of times any initiative we put forth has a large number of stakeholders, but there's no clear decider. It's all everything's by consensus. Um, right. We're kind of wondering, is that a, a red flag or, or are there ways to deal with situations um, that you've been in uh, by consensus? Yeah, so I don't really recommend that approach per se. I think it's it's very difficult or possible to get consensus. Um, the way that I talk about it has more to do with getting support from people to move forward. So I think we often go into these conversations believing that our role is there to get agreement or to get consensus from everybody. But I don't think it is. I think it's more important that we see our roles as being a facilitator of, of a conversation on design solutions and then asking people directly to support us in what we think the right decision is and the, and the right path forward. So again, there's two kind of operative words there. One, support versus agreement and support to move forward. Forward being that second word, right? We need support to move forward. And it's about that forward momentum. As long as we can kind of continue moving in a positive direction with our work, then, you know, over time, I think we'll see the success that we need. But I think kind of flipping that switch and, and seeing our role in a little bit of a different light is helpful. But that said, I do think it's problematic to be in an environment where there isn't a, a decider. Um, so I, think it's, I think it's appropriate for certain people to um, sign off on or support you in like their particular area or discipline. For instance, if there's someone from you know, legal who needs to sign off on your designs, sure, then, then at, when it comes to the things that are kind of within that person's domain, we should lean heavily on their expertise and their domain knowledge. But if they don't like the color of the button, well, that's nice. We'll, we'll take that into consideration, but fundamentally that, that the legal department um, probably doesn't have, you know, kind of expertise in that area. So I think you have to kind of weigh that, but I, I, would, I would definitely guard against, you know, trying to get consensus from a large number of people and instead having a clear understanding of, okay, who does make the decisions on which parts of our work so that we can get a clear yes or no from people. Yeah, and something you said really jumped out at me. Um... When you say uh, support to move forward, a lot of it, it, what it says to me kind of is, we don't want people blocking that progress. Is that sort right. of, in, in a way, kind of what you were saying there? It is, yeah. And in, and in fact, one of the things that I mention in, in my book is that often we get hung up on things that maybe aren't the most important thing and they prevent us from moving forward, right? We get blocked because we're hung up on this conversation 
someone has a problem with one particular part. And so often I think our, our role uh, is to look for uh, is to look for that path forward, right? If there's this one piece that's problematic, but the other nine pieces of our work are generally fine, well, how can we move forward with the nine and revisit the one at a, at a later date, right? Or in a different conversation? I think there's almost always some way to find a path forward. And I, and I think we, we just, we can't allow, you know, one person's opinion on one particular part of our work to prevent us from from actually being able to to move in that direction. One of the other things I, I think it's what we try to do, and and um, you know you've you've also mentioned this in the book is try to support your uh, decisions with data, and it's very difficult yeah. with uh, having data backing you up to to you know say uh, oh well we don't want to do that I don't care. I also like how you, you frame this. Like, are you are you sure you are? Do you agree that we shouldn't follow this data and do the uh, the wrong thing? <laughs> Like framing yeah. the question that way and, and making them answer no uh, to that, you know? Yeah, I think I, I think it's absolutely appropriate to always highlight the risks or consequences of doing something that we don't recommend, right? And so if you really have someone who's going to say, you know, hey, yeah, thank you for bringing the data, but, you know, completely disagree and we need to move in this other direction, um, okay, you know, that, that might be the choice that we are, are faced with, and we need to be crystal clear that there's a, an understanding between us that we're doing something that goes against my recommendation, that it goes against, like, the data that we're seeing. As long as we're documenting that and writing it down, you know, and making sure we understand why we made the decision, who was involved in those decisions, then, yeah, let, let's move forward, right? Let, let's, let's make the call. We should always, though, be measuring the result, right? And, and if we saw the improvement that we expected, then great. Then did it really matter if we got our way versus the other person? But if we don't get the result that we expect, then that's an opportunity to go back to that conversation again and be like, hey, look, you know, we talked about this last time. We made this decision. Now the data is saying something else, right? The problem is worse. <laughs> so right. I, I think I, th- I think anything we can do, we, we have to acknowledge that it's absolutely possible for someone to you know overrule us on a decision. That's fine. We need to, as long as we have a clear understanding of, of what might happen in the in those cases. Excellent point. Um, okay, so we had a couple of other questions. Um, Derek, you wanna you wanna hop into some of the ones you had? Yeah, yeah. So we just had a couple. Um, couple more uh the last being of course the most important but we'll save that um the so basically when you when you engage with a client on a project uh how do you kind of measure was it a success was it a failure over time you know how how do i know if you know my relationship with them is good or bad and and how do you how do you kind of manage that yeah yeah that's a good question i i think that um on a project level, you know whether I'm working as a consultant in an outside agency for a client, or whether I'm working on an internal team, you always need to have some sort of some sort of goal, some sort of understood problem statement that you're solving for, and then you need a way to measure that, right? Like so, ideally, that's some sort of like KPI or OKR, depending on you know your flavor there. But basically, we want to see the numbers improve in in one way or another. And as long as we have the ability to to track that without being overly pedantic about it, okay? Like we don't, we, we, it doesn't have to be totally objective. Sometimes there are levels of subjectivity to these things, and that's okay. But generally speaking, we have to have some sort of goal. And if we improved those numbers and moved 
move the needle, then then it, I would say it was a success. Now, the, the way you're asking the question kind of makes me think that you're also kind of asking about like relationally and, you know, just purely from like a client agency relationship, how do you know it's successful? I, I, I think from an agency perspective, it was it was successful if that, you know, my client hires me again at some point, right? You right. Know, maybe, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe when they go to a different company or a different job, or if, you know, it seemed like the relationship was good. If our, if our clients aren't constantly overruling us on decisions, if they're trusting us to, you know, kind of speak into the, the decisions that are being made, that's a good sign, right? That, that, that the project was a success. But um, yeah, I think those are, the, those are the things I look for. And I guess the, the other one I had, um, really had to do with the kind of the criteria you used to judge or rate one engagement versus another. But you kind of dug into that a little bit. Um, KPIs and the relationships that you would have over time. Um, so I don't know if we need to dig any. Do you have anything, though, that you do specifically to say that was a good one, that was a bad one? I don't want to do that anything more than you kind of went into. Yeah, I, you know, when it comes to the relational aspect it's difficult to to measure that certainly there are people who we will get along with more easily people that you just you know have similar instincts to us where the conversations just come a lot more naturally and that's just about you know kind of personality and and fit with with within relationships but even if you don't have you know that kind of i'll say chemistry with your uh, with your stakeholders or, or business partners i think it's still possible to uh, think about the way that you the way that you speak with them, the way you present your work, uh, the way you get to know them. I, I think a lot of times we just simply don't have enough shared experiences with with those people um, to build on a relationship. And you know, we're we're focused on work, right? We're coming in and like, hey, I've got this thing to show you, and I need your approval. Um, I think we can we can always take you know more care to just ask people you know how they're doing you know hey you know what's new <laughs> you know oh, I went and saw this this movie or more recently I watched this show on Netflix right like do you have you seen that show like those those kinds of little simple ways that we can get to know people sort of outside of the context of the project where things are so serious mm-hmm. and business right those go yeah. a long way in establishing better rapport and trust than you would think. Yep, and that ties back to the, again the relationships. Um, having a good relationship makes um, makes building software, really complex software, so much easier. You know, you can't build great software without great relationships. Jeremy, and, you talk about that all the time, man. It's true. Well, I mean, I get it from Tom too, man. I mean, a lot of the stuff in this book talks about that, and I, I think it's. Um, I think it's just critical. And it's funny, my, my, you know, I think we talked about this before, but um, you know, Derek and I are from New Orleans, and New Orleans is such a, is a culture where um, relationships are just like the first thing. I mean, you know, maybe it leads to nepotism a lot, but it, you know, my, my dad worked for GM growing up, big big giant company, and he always told me, you know, you want to get anything done, you take somebody to lunch, and you talk about it over lunch. You know, yeah, and um, yeah. I'd say it's the same kind of thing applies now more than ever, especially where we've got remote work and email and text and all this stuff, and you lose all that emotion. Um, it's just so much easier to get things done face to face, you know, uh, and and talk to people and, and and build relationships that way. Yeah, um, there there's an there's an episode of The Office where um, Michael Scott and Jan 
take out this this the city uh, city councilman or city planner <laughs> yeah. or person that uh-huh. was buying paper from them. They they take him. They meet him at like Chili's for lunch, yeah. right? And Jan is mortified and thinks that Michael is a moron. And <laughs> and um, they 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 go to lunch with this guy to try to convince him to not buy paper from like the big box stores. And, you know, they sit down and Jan gets right to business and says basically, you know, like, hey, we want to make a deal. We want to, you know, you to buy our paper. And he's like, well, big box stores and cheaper and all of that. And Michael starts ordering like sliders and shots and like all and just being silly and changing the subject. And and Jan continues to be frustrated. Well, after they'd been there for like an hour. Right, he starts talking about how he grew up in Scranton and he went to this high school and he starts really connecting with the guy. And then, of course, by the end of their time there, he agrees to buy paper from them. Yeah. Um, not be, not awesome. because of anything Jan said, not because of like negotiation yeah. tactics, but just because they got to know each other like on a human level, right? Um, and, I, and I love that. As much as it was silly, you know, and intended to be a funny comedy, I think it demonstrates something that's actually really important. Yeah, take people out to lunch, get to know them, sure. you know, break down those, those like barriers and, you know, you'll be amazed at what can happen. Well, that's funny because that's almost exactly how every business deal in New Orleans is conducted. <laughs> right. Uh, maybe not Chili's. They do it at like Galatoire's yeah. or right, something. Right, but yeah, right. you know, take <laughs> give them 25 cent martinis during lunch is like a is thing it noon that's yet? pretty Can we common drink? here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, and you start, oh, I grew up in New Orleans. Every, you know, it's just such a, it's so funny. That's like such a, a that's almost exactly how, how things are done here. I mean, I, I had, I had, I actually had an experience like this recently where I had gone, I had gone to an office to work with a guy that I had had some difficulty with. And so part of the reason I went to this office was to be kind of face to face with him because I usually work remotely. And the morning was really, it was just more tense. Like there were some difficult topics that we needed to work through. There was just some tension. It just wasn't really flowing. It was really hard. But lunch rolls around. We're like, hey, you know, let's go to lunch. And we go get in his car and we go to a Mexican restaurant and have lunch and end up having a conversation about our families and all kinds of stuff. And the rest of the afternoon back at the office was totally great. Like it was so much better. Um, And in hindsight, I wish I had asked him to meet me for breakfast beforehand (laughs) instead, you know, but it was it was interesting to watch that polar dynamic between what the morning and the afternoon looked like just because we spent some time you know kind of breaking the ice and getting to know each other first i love it that sounds like uh the the content for a nice case study on relationship building um so uh so long story short we love the book the book was amazing everyone needs to read the book now we now we have we have some questions that we think um people really want to know now um more than anything i have been this has been just like bothering me for for years now how does o'reilly pick the animals for their book yeah. <laughs> i want to know how does how, does o'reilly, how well, do they come up with these animals well it's it, it's super secret um and i'm not supposed to say this but and i don't really even know all the details but they have a, a team of people whose job it is to look at the upcoming titles that they've already signed, you know, contracts for, and to figure out what animal oh, might yeah. match the content. <laughs> and they like brainstorm it. Like they There's have animal a meeting. matchers. Oh my god, that's awesome! It's like, is that their is that their only job, or do they? No, have other I don't. Th- well, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not <laughs> sure time. about that. I, I don't want to say it. it's not, but. I love um, it. 
Yeah, so they, they meet on a regular cadence. I don't know how often it is, every six weeks, every quarter, you know, something like that. And they, they brainstorm the animals and they come up with them and then they have an illustrator who um, illustrates all of them. The, the timing for when I did my book, um, I signed my contract like maybe two weeks before they had this meeting and I didn't even know the meeting was coming. And so um, what authors do have the opportunity to um, ha- provide you know, suggestions for what animal they think it should be. And they do take that into consideration at that, at that meeting. But for me, I didn't even know the meeting was happening because it was like two weeks later. And next thing I knew, like I got an email with like an illustration of the bird that's on my book. Like, Hey, congrats. Here's your, yeah. that begs the question. This is, I assume this is a parakeet. Uh, it is a rose ringed parakeet. That's right. Okay. Yeah. What, how does that tie into the topic? I would love to, how does that relate to the Yeah. Topic? So, so I, I, I don't know the official answer to that question because I've, I've not actually had, I wasn't at the meeting okay. where they chose it. And, and, I, and I don't know what O'Reilly's reasoning is, but I've, I've, I have since made up a story on my own that I'll Well, let's tell. hear it. Let's hear um, it. <laughs> so uh, the rose ring parakeet is a pretty interesting um, bird. Uh, for a species of parakeet, there's a couple of uh, unique characteristics about it. One, um, it's one of the few parakeet species that can that can talk, it can learn up to like oh, 250 okay. words, which is a lot for a species of ah. parakeet. Um, the second thing that's interesting about it is that um, as it, it's done a really good job of adapting to urbanization so that as humans have kind of encroached on its natural habitat in, you know, kind of um, like in Brazil in particular, I think is one place where they are originate from. Um, these birds have kind of moved into cities. These these beautiful wild parakeets are nesting in the nooks and crannies uh, in in cities, kind of all over the world. Um, I was in Amsterdam a few years ago, and someone told me that um, there was a crate of these birds at the airport once. And naturally, like uh, like any good like sketch comedy it fell off the back of the truck and broke open and all the birds flew out oh no and now, that's the that's the plot of rio actually <laughs> yeah right yeah exactly um and now there's this thriving population of rose ring parakeets in amsterdam oh, wow. and sure enough if you walk out rock walk around and look you can find their little nests and they're very they're bright green birds you can't miss them yeah um but anyway i i actually I actually think that this parallels really nicely with um our jobs as you know communicators of design we have to be the ones to like learn new words to be one of the only species Mm -hmm. that can like adapt to the language of business right we have to kind of learn to thrive and adapt in this new environment because there you know there was a time when designers weren't so involved in business and understanding metrics and talking to business people you know we were mostly in the business of making pretty pictures and we're not there anymore right and so we have to be the ones to adapt to this new environment to thrive you know in in this in this business environment and so um i I think that i think that plays really nicely with with the picture of of our roles um and and the parakeet so that that's the story i tell whether or not that's why o'reilly chose it i I can't say you know it's funny um you mentioned thing about the parakeets there's actually a story that my grandma used to tell me i don't know derek you may have seen this but out in lakeview they have parakeets just wild really? parakeets living out in Lakeview. And my, my mom and my grandma told me this story though, like a long time ago, like in the 60s or something, there was a pet store that had a fire and somehow the parakeets got out, they escaped. And now there's like live parakeets flying around uh, Lakeview. I don't know how true that is. Uh, the, the, I mean, there are parakeets out there, but I don't know how true the, the uh, pet store is. 
but it's a similar story to I, I maybe just these parakeets are just really uh, adept at uh, surviving and thriving in whatever environment they're in. I, I like well, I mean, they certainly or... survived before we decided to domesticate them. That's so true. It makes right. sense. That is absolutely true. <laughs> tell you what, Jeremy. Right. Um, yeah. I don't want to tell this whole story, and I know it's not your fault, Tom. I know it's not your fault, but when I was a kid, my mom took me to a pet shop. There was a beautiful little parakeet. She said I could get a bird. Stuck my finger in that thing to pet his little head. Bit the crap out of me. Still have a scar on my finger. Oh, God. Never liked parakeets. Wow. But oh, after reading the book, I'm starting to like parakeets <laughs> a little more now. I don't know if it's correlated, All right. but I he think it may be correlated. Too. So it's, you know, you, so you've you done, you've done good. You still have a scar on your finger I from still that, have right? a scar. He bit it that bad. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? I thought it was crazy. Anyway, that's my parakeet story. I'm sticking to it. Um, your parakeet story was way better, but my parakeet story is personal. Uh, very personal to me. Well, I'm, I'm glad that the image on the cover didn't prevent you from, from picking up the it book. Didn't. It didn't. I'm not too, scarred too that triggering. deeply. I'm not scarred didn't that deeply. I, back. Yeah, years yeah. of therapy, but I'm not, <laughs> I made it through. Um, <laughs> no, but the, uh, the last, the last question really kind of, uh, ties it all together. And it's probably the most important question our listeners are waiting for you to answer. And it's really pretty easy, absolutely, or <laughs> no way. Does being a good communicator and articulator, articulator? Articulator, why not? Of, um, I think it works. Of, yeah, of uh, design decisions make you a better lover. Absolutely, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, and I, I mean, we should do a study just to find out yeah, Make absolutely. Sure. Another case study. We I should another case that. study. We got we can it. Rank rank people by their skill at articulation, and then have their partners, I guess, rank them. Yeah, we'll review the data. Feeling, Maybe this is feeling, not safe for work now. Yeah, I have a feeling I'd rank pretty low at home. <laughs> I don't know. In I think I'm much better or, at, this at work. Oh, whatever. Um, <laughs> Everything. I don't know. Just in general, I'm much better at work than at home. All right. You want to hit him, uh, Jeremy? You want to hit him with the. Uh, the all right tom so that. we got one one last thing before we let you go um well at, we'll do one last thing then we're going to plug your book and all that other stuff but we're going to do this this segment we call this or that and it's a way for us to just kind of get to know you a little better i have a whole bunch of this or that questions and oh, i am no. going to ask you uh and we just fire them off just fast don't think don't think about it just you know boom 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 we're going to take two minutes and okay. we're going to get through this questions, all right? So don't take okay. any time to think fast. It's just first thing that comes to mind, right? Okay. All right, you ready? Yeah. All right, I'm doing it. All right, I got, a, uh, I got, a, I got my timer set up. All right. Uh, dog or cat? <laughs> dog or cat? Cat. All right, Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. All right, phone call or text? Text. All right, cardio or weight training? Cardio. All right, ice cream, cone or cup? Cup. All right, while commuting, music or podcasts? Podcast. All right. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Okay. The Mac or PC? I probably know the answer to this. But... Mac, yeah. Mac, okay. All right. So a, a console game or PC game? Oh, see, that's tough. PC. PC. All right. I'm with you on that one. Form or function? Hmm. Function. All right. Is cheesecake cake or pie? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think Derek said the same thing. I, I uh, did. Swimming? Swimming or sunbathing? Swimming. All right. High tech or low tech? Uh, low tech. All right. I like that. Big party or small gathering? 
small gathering for sure. All right. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Well, we'll let that one slide. All right. Love or money? <laughs> love. All right. <laughs> Derek had trouble with that question. All right. Work My hard wife or play could hard? be listening. I have to. <laughs> oh, we already know our wives don't listen, so it doesn't matter. Uh, all right. Work hard or play hard? Uh, play hard. All right. I love it. Pen or pencil? Pen. All right. Dot graph or lines? Oh, man. Lines. All right. Bath or shower? Shower. All right. Pizza or tacos? Tacos. All right. Ninjas or pirates? Ninjas. All right. Mountains or beach? Beach. Beach. All right. Um, let's see. At a movie, candy or popcorn? Popcorn. All right. This is a really important one. Toilet paper, over or under? Over. All right. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. All right. And Hot coffee. coffee or iced coffee? Hot coffee. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, a couple more. Winter or summer? Uh, summer. All right. Ski trip or beach trip? I probably know the answer to that, obviously. The last one. Yeah, I say beach beach trip. Yeah, beach trip. All one. right. It's similar, actually. You know what? Last time we did this, Derek, I said I was going to cut that second because I already asked mountains or beach. Anyway. Yeah. Um, let's What's see. funny right. about uh, that is the, the con- context matters with some of these. Like with the beach in particular, the only reason I choose it is because... If you take your kids to to the beach, like it's amazing. They can just play in the sand for hours and not like you just won't even hear. Like it's one of the best <laughs> places for a family vacation. But I will I will say that I I enjoy and prefer like hiking and camping and backpacking more than going to the beach. So it depends on if I have my kids with me. Maybe that's true. Ooh, that's a good point. All right, we got a couple more here. Uh, super sandwich. Uh, sandwich. Sandwich. All right. Beer or wine. Uh, beer. All right. Hoppy or weedy? Uh, hoppy. Hoppy. All right. Last one. Dine-in or take-out? Uh, dine-in. Dine-in. All right. That's it. We got through almost that whole list. Actually, we got well through done, the whole Jeremy. list. I'm impressed. I didn't that was a lot of fun. That was oh, well, no, that wasn't me. That was all Tom. Tom was a great um, sport, all right. man. So that was, you told uh, me to go that fast. Was awesome. I went fast. You went, you <laughs> we went as fast, fast as you could. You did awesome. All right. This or that. I love that. It's a great segment. All right. So um, now we know a little bit more about Tom. We knew he liked Star Wars, which is unfortunate, but um, leave you know, him we can't, alone. I can't, I can't, I, we can't. No, if I, I keep telling you to leave people alone about that. <laughs> you didn't ask me to. I wasn't allowed to give any sort of explanation, but in that particular case, I, neither one is really super interesting to me. But I, okay, I've seen, right. I've seen both, and and my kids are into Star. They like Star Wars. Of course, I've never even shown them Star Trek, so maybe that's why. But uh, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not like a super fan of either one. I would. Oh well, say. that's okay. Well, we won't hold that against you either. Derek and I, um, we're 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 huge fans of Star Trek, um, specifically Voyager and DS Nine, respectively. Um, but you know, we're a couple of nerds and that's, you know, that's just how we roll. Um, all right. So, so last thing, Tom, tell us about the book where we can get it. Um, and any way to get in touch with you, website, Twitter, Facebook, all that's whatever you got. Lay it on us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can buy the book wherever books are sold. Uh, for most people that's Amazon. Amazon always has the cheapest price. Sometimes Amazon's price is cheaper than the 50% author discount that I get by buying them directly from O'Reilly. So definitely buy it on Amazon if you want the print or the Kindle uh, ebook version. Um, if your company or your school has a subscription to O'Reilly's Safari service, it is included on that. 
And Safari also hosts a video series that I recorded to go along oh. with the book. It's uh, one 15 or 20 minute chap uh, video per chapter of, of the book. So that's also a good option for teams or a group of people that want to do, do it together. You can kind of watch a short video and then discuss it. Um, as for me, you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm the only Tom Griever, uh, except for a Thomas Griever in Chattanooga, Tennessee that I'm friends with on Facebook now. But outside <laughs> of that, I'm, I'm the only Tom Griever in the world. So I'm pretty easy to find. So you can just Google my name and add me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter. That'd be great. Awesome. Right on. And you, uh, I don't know if you want to plug this. If not, we can cut it. But do you um, want to talk about doing talks and doing uh, like uh, workshops and stuff? Is that something you want to talk about? Yeah, I can mention that if you want me to. Sure. Yeah. Well, if you want, I mean, if you want to do more of it, we yeah, have like at least at least ten listeners. So. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll say something about it. Um, yeah, and then also, you know, when when travel restrictions are are lifted and we're actually allowed to interact with other humans again, I also do you know speaking and workshops for for teams, and so I'll I can I can come to your office and lead a training on articulating design decisions for for you and your team. Um, if that is of interest, I also have an online version that that, I, that I'm doing, and it's it's going pretty good. So you could contact me; we could do it online if you, if you wanted to. But I, I really prefer doing the in-person ones. It's it's such a blast to go and hang out with other teams and and hear how they're you know um, dealing with this problem and and what they do at, at their companies. And um, I love traveling around and, and sharing this with other people. All right, I love it. Um, so um, I think that's it. Derek, you got anything else? No, no other questions. I just want to say, Tom, you're a yeah, gosh darn you treat. Um, you're a great sport with everything, all the questions, and just yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. Hey, thanks, you guys. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah. Big episode number 10. Uh, we're excited about that. And um, please uh, do yourselves a favor. Pick up the book. It is a wonderful book. It's very easy to read. It's a very quick read. didn't take me very long. Um, and I'm not that fast at reading things, so uh, whatever that's worth. Um, it's written very easily to follow, and it's a, a great book. Um, if you are having trouble articulating your design decisions, you need this book. Um, Tom, any, any last closing, uh, closing words before we, uh, we head out? No, I don't think so. I'm good. All right. All right, awesome. man. All right, y'all. Well, thanks a lot. Check us out on RetroTimePodcast.com. Uh, check us out on um, all the Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. And you can find us on all the all the podcast places where you can find podcasts. And remember, uh, if you leave a comment, Derek's going to write you a song. And we'll have some stickers for you guys at some point. So, uh, so that's it. All right. Until next time. All right. Take it easy. All right. Thanks. Bye. Stuck my finger in that thing to pet his little head, bit the crap out of me.